started off this year post-COVID or during and we were praying and saying, what kind of theme, God, would you have us focus on? Such that if we drilled it down in the life of our community, if we applied it in our workspaces, in our schools, wherever we went, it would make a profound difference in other people's lives. And we came up with this theme alongside us. Well, actually, it wasn't our theme. It was actually someone else's. His name's Mick Duncan. He's a Kiwi. And he had a profound experience of someone in his life coming alongside him. So he wrote a book about alongsiding. This is what he said. An alongsider is someone who intentionally come, comes alongside another for the purpose of being with them so that life might be better than if they were going it alone. I like that. It's the idea that life is better alongside so that no one sits alone. He said, my experience of an alongsider in my life was such that Someone asked me this question, how would it be if all of the doors of my life were open to you? He said, someone came alongside me and actually asked that question when I was younger. Made a profound difference. And as he stepped into that doorway of their life, he said, after a period of time, they asked me a second question. How would it be if everywhere I go, you come with me? Wow. And so there was this interchange of life and experience and sort of this coalescence of, of two lives and it was friendship and he said it made a profound difference in my own life. And so we've been looking at that over the past month and we'll continue to look at different qualities and characteristics that we define an alongsider being. So when we started four weeks ago, we said an alongsider is someone who opens up the doors of their life. An alongsider is someone who listens graciously an alongsider is someone who encourages intentionally. Friday fortnight ago, I held a funeral here for Norman Pell, 92-year-old gentleman who had had a profound effect of influencing other people's lives all over the world. And I remember in the courtyard, there was a, a, a group of people, some family members who'd come down from Yay. And there was a high school teacher that was there. And the first thing he said to me was this, he said, Norman Pell came to more of, of my cricket games than my parents. I thought, wow. And he said, he even came to some of the games to watch me play up there in Yay when his grandchildren weren't there. Wow. I wonder if you could name someone in your life who has come alongside you for no benefit of themselves, but just to be with you. Let me press it a little bit deeper for today's topic, entering our suffering. I wonder if you've experienced a difficulty, a hardship, a heartache in your life, and in that season of your life, you've been encouraged, you've been blessed, if you like, with the presence of someone else who's stepped into your world and understood your heartache, and if you like, they've shared your suffering with you. It's a powerful thing, powerful expression of love, powerful expression, it's a gift that can help us come alongside others. So we want to explore that, explore this idea of entering into someone's suffering today. We've been looking at Jesus as being the exemplar. We're picking out stories that reflect both his teaching about who he is, but also what he was like. And if you want to follow with us, you version of the Bible, uh, just on your phone app, John chapter 11, or if you have your Bible with me today, we're going to look at John chapter 11, look at this little cameo spot in Jesus' life, where he so profoundly enters into someone's suffering and bids us do the same. The story goes like this. There was a man in Bethany named Lazarus, and he became ill. Yes, this is the story that we get 
when someone says it's Lazarus who's come back to life. This is the place. Bethany was a village that Mary and her sister Martha also lived at. In fact, this is a household being named here. Martha, Mary and Lazarus, all friends of Jesus. And their brother took ill, so Martha and Mary, being concerned, send word to Jesus who's not there with them, and they say this, Master, the man you love is ill. And it goes on. When Jesus got the message, he said, This illness won't lead to death. It's all about the glory of God. The Son of God will be glorified through that. What does that mean? Jesus was trying to say to them, that something of the power of God is going to be revealed through me and you're going to see it and understand it in a mighty way that you wouldn't have understood or seen it before. You're going to experience and encounter the glory of God. It goes on. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, that is Lazarus, he stayed where he was to begin with for two more days. Now, let's just pause here for a moment because this is supposed to kind of crunch you in the text and cause you to stop for a moment. Because I thought it worked like this. When someone loves someone and they are ill or sick or in trouble, the first thing they do is they drop everything that they have and they go to them. But John, who's watched and observed Jesus' life, who's writing this account, for three and a half years he's watched Jesus do the things he did. As he recounts this story, he remembers Jesus pauses and prolongs his presence in Lazarus' life by, by two more days. Funny thing. You're supposed to pick that up. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And when he had said this, Jesus added, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. <laughs> Typically, like the disciples often do, the, the rebuttal or the comeback is this. Master, replied the disciples, if he's asleep, he will wake up. And then Jesus replies, no, you fools, I'm using it as a euphemism. Lazarus is dead. <laughs> Actually, and I'm glad I wasn't there for your sakes, because I'm going to reveal something about myself to you that you don't understand the depths and the breadths of the power that is in me and working through me. But let's go now. And so when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days. That means the body by this time has started to actually decay and there'd be a smell. Many of the Judeans had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother because he had died. And so the story goes like this. As soon as Martha hears that Jesus has arrived, she races to him and she says these words. Master, if only you'd been here, then my brother wouldn't have died. Now, they're words, but you can imagine the scene. They've lost their brother. They're grieving. And she comes with the truth to Jesus. If you had been here, I don't believe he would have died. You would have done something to save him. We've seen your power. We've seen your miracles. No one questions it. They might question the power source from your miracles, but no one questions that you work wonders. And so Jesus, seeing this, says to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha says, I know that he'll rise again. He'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, Jewish people believed that, that there was two phases in the history of the world. There was the present phase and the future phase. There was a time in which in the last day where God will call all human beings to account. 
And then he would put wrongs to rights and there would be a resurrection, a renewal of the earth and those people who belonged to him would be with him. So she says, I know that in that resurrection, when God calls everyone to account, then he will rise again. And Jesus presses back and he says these profound words. No, 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 Martha, you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even if they die. Now, this is the point in which you and I, if we heard someone say these words today, we would pause and kind of chuckle, wouldn't we? We'd say, actually, the only way that I'm going to believe a profound statement like that, if someone said that to me, is if you proved it yourself and came back to life. (laughs) Well, that's actually the story of Easter in about three, four weeks' time, that Jesus will say, I want to demonstrate to you that I have power over death itself when I come back to life on Easter Sunday. That was the news that came out from the tomb the day on that Easter Sunday as we've seen a dead man come back to life. So Jesus rightly, in at least in his words, say, I am the resurrection and the life. If you want to look for someone who's got the details on death worked out, look no further than me. With these words, Martha went back and called her sister Mary. She said, the teacher is here and he's asking for you, Mary, would you come? And so Mary comes. And when she sees Jesus, she repeats the same line as Martha. But this time she falls at Jesus' feet and she cries out from the depths of her heart, Master, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. I believe that in the depths of my guts. It says, Jesus, seeing this moment, when he sees her crying and the other people mourning, It says he's deeply stirred in his spirit and very troubled. Which leads us to the shortest line in the entire Bible. If you are one for memorizing particular passages, this one is the easiest. Because it goes like this. Seeing all of the commotion, seeing all of the suffering, seeing all of the pain. It says, Jesus wept which I've always found incredibly provocative and striking. Given that if Jesus knows that he has the power in what he's going to do, just a few moments after this, he goes to the tomb. He asks for the huge stone to be rolled away. People look at him aghast, and he calls out and says, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus does so, and people are gobsmacked. Some believe in him. Some run away in fear. Some want to scheme for his life. But he's about to do that, and knowing that that is going to happen, Jesus still enters into Someone else's suffering. You see, the same author by the name of John has already written about him, having observed him and watched him for three and a half years, writes this about him at the beginning of this account. He says, In the beginning was the Word, referring to Jesus, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He says, You don't understand this person that I've come to know by the name of Jesus is more than just a human. You haven't seen him do the things that I've seen. He goes on and he says, in him was life and this life was the light of all humankind. He'd say, look no further. If you want to have a compass in your life that directs you to life eternal and directs you to life right now and what it should be lived by and how it should be lived in a fully human way, look no further than the perfect example of Jesus. He's the one who wrote about Thomas who said, my Lord and my God, when he sees him a few days after Easter Sunday. 
This is the same person that weeps even though he knows what's about to happen. And in so doing, offers Mary and Martha a profound gift. They say the level and the test and the estimation of a great leader, a great decision maker, is not on the basis of how they quickly come to a decision, but how, how convicted they are to enter into the person's suffering that their decision will actually realize in another person's life because of the decision they're going to make. That is, the test of a great decision maker isn't that they have made their decisions from afar, is that they've put themselves into the shoes of the people their decisions are going to impact and still make their decisions accordingly for the greater good. You see, Jesus here is in a place. He knows he's delayed two days. He knows he wants to reveal something about who he is. But he weeps. I wonder if you've ever had someone in your life come alongside you and it's as though they've entered into your suffering in a way that somehow just holds it and carries it just for a moment and in so doing alleviates the heartache and conveys love. Over the course of my life, I've had the privilege of sitting with people in all kinds of sufferings. Loss of job, a deep depression, a great fear, a severe trauma, a displacement. And every time I've been in those situations, the thing that I come away with when I observe the way in which people deal with their pain and grief and heartache and suffering is the same. When other people they know come into their lives and enter, and but for a brief moment extend a loving kindness to them, it's as though they reach into their very lives and take their heartache and pain and carry the burden just for a moment with them. And in so doing, it lightens their load and helps them endure. They come alongside for good. See, it strikes me that that's what an alongsider has opportunity to do at times. It takes great courage and sensitivity to enter into someone else's suffering. See, this response of Jesus informs me in two ways. God isn't indifferent to suffering. He's the kind of God that enters it. John writes, For God so loved the world that he gave. See, whatever your construct is of God, whether you believe he exists or not, maybe you're just checking him out. The God that I've come to discover in the person of Jesus is the one who comes and gives himself. Who dies on a cross, it says. Who takes all of the evil, sin, sickness, this, this part of the humanity which says me first and does all kinds of despicable things to actually ensure our own rights and privileges at the expense of others. And takes on death itself and defeats it from the inside out. I don't know why you might be experiencing a particular suffering per se now. But the God I see in the person of Jesus is the one that comes alongside and weeps. And therefore invites people to do the same. How do we do that? How do we do that? 
You see, someone who comes alongside and sits in this space allows themselves to sit in the awkwardness of emotions. Have you ever found yourself in the midst of a situation and a circumstance that you don't know? And, and maybe guys are worse at this than ladies intuitively. I'm just saying, just saying, I might be wrong. But sometimes when there's emotion in front, we don't know quite what to do with it. I've seen this countless times. I've experienced it myself. And yet sometimes in the midst of that displacement and that awkwardness, one of the most profound things you can give to someone else by entering into their suffering is just being near them. I once heard of a woman who was experiencing a deep, deep depression. Her friend came alongside, didn't know what to do, didn't have words to speak, but just, I'm told, sat with her for hours, for days, just to be alongside you see, the power of this alongsiding, this entering into someone's suffering, is the realization that sometimes uh, what I've learned, the rule is that the, the deeper the pain, the less words. And that people like you and I can rush to sweep things under and to smooth things over far too quickly. Do you notice that about ourselves? When someone expresses a loss, a pain, a grief, whatever it is, we quickly want to add, oh, well, God must have a plan for this. Really? Do you know that God has a plan for this? <laughs> I once, one of, my, uh, one of my professors, saying quietly in the midst of a class, he said, to this day, I still don't understand why that morning my wife drove out the front driveway of our house and turned left without looking at what was coming, why she didn't see the car, and there right in front of my house, there was a total collision, and my wife died right there and then, and to this day, I don't know why God had allowed this. And one day I might. You see, sometimes in the awkwardness, we want to skip to smooth, easy answers, sweep it under the carpet, give it a, a glib answer. Oh, God must have some plan in this when really what the person wants more than anything else is that you would just sometimes speak less. And the second thing is just be present to them. You see, to be present to them, you have to learn to sit in the discomfort, the uncomfortableness sometimes of emotions. But at the same time, is to be present to the person. One of the greatest mistakes I made in my life, and there's been many, but one that I remember when I thought about this particular talk today was an incident when I was a university student over in Portland, Oregon. I was studying to become a minister. And I had come alongside someone else in their ministry who was actually talking about how to communicate to uh, other people about who Jesus is. And he was a great mentor and he was becoming a friend to me. And uh, there was a big flood and there was uh, lots of rains one particular day in Portland. And the house where he was uh, living in was right next to a stream. And the dam up, up the way had been filling up so much that they had to release the valve. They released the valve and there was just this devastation down in the valley, things being swept away. And I remember receiving a call from him to the effect of, Troy, would you muscle some university students and come here to me because things that I own are being just dragged away and I need your help, the water level's rising. And I said, I see what I could do. And I hung up the phone and I spoke to some other people, but I decided that I shouldn't go because I had a lot of things on and there were some university assignments that I needed to get done. <laughs> you know, one of those defining moments in your life where you try to weigh up, what's more important, a person or my project? What's more important, a person or my project? What's more important at the time? 
I remember afterwards some friends who had helped him out and me calling up and saying, I'm sorry. I just got my priorities wrong. I don't know what I was thinking. I was under pressure. I just reacted. You see, someone who actually enters into someone's suffering not only sits in the awkwardness, but they're actually present to the person as though they were trying to understand the world from their shoes. In fact, that's the question that someone asks. What's it like from your side of the world, from where you are? Which leads me to the third one. Someone who comes alongside is someone who feels someone else's pain. You know the difference between the two? Sometimes you might have heard the words someone said and you heard them all right and can repeat them. But someone who feels them is someone who kind of enters in and tries to understand such that in those moments there might be some silent tears. There might be a heaviness. There might be an understanding and it provokes the person to do something that might help or assist the person because they feel their heartache. Remember there was a young man when I was teaching at the high school I was many years ago who'd been done for drugs and probably dealing. I remember him sitting in one of the rooms just near the principal's office as they were calling the police. No one was around. I thought to myself, what would it be like to be in his shoes right now? And so I quietly went to the room. I opened the door, closed it, sat down next to him. I looked him in the eye, year 10 student. Let's call him John. I said, John, your world's about to change in ways that you probably don't understand right now. But I want you to know this. There is a way forward and there is a way out. And I want you to know that I'm standing here with you. Not saying that's okay, but I want you to know that you can make some profound decisions in your life right now. You have an opportunity to change that will be for your benefit and for your good. And I want you to know that I'll be cheering for you. Years later, that same student called me up. He said, do you want to come and be someone involved in our footy club because I'm coaching a team? I couldn't help but trace the connection back because someone else entered into someone else's pain. You see, the gift of being an alongsider who enters in is a profound gift. And all too often in my life, I can sometimes miss those moments. wonder about you. You know, one of the places that I think it's so hard to be an alongsider in this world is a high school. Because in school, there's all kinds of bullying, biting, manipulating. Oh, yeah, we try and work it out. We try and smooth it over. That's it. But I reckon one of the toughest places to be. So if you are in year 7 to year 12 right now, could I just invite you to raise your hand for me so I can see? This is all. Okay. Thank you. Can I just pause and praise for you? Because I think if there's something that God might want to speak to you about is that you might have a profound opportunity in the coming weeks and months ahead to be an alongsider for someone else who is sitting alone. And you might be able to gesture them in a way that just carries their pain for a moment that would be such a gift to them. 
Would you mind if I pray? Just for you. Dear God, here in this space right now, as we hear about alongsiding, I ask that you might speak. And I ask for every year 7 to year 12 student who is sitting in this room, knowing sometimes the great challenges in the playground. And I ask that you might give them the courage, the sensitivity, the wisdom to know how they might be and alongside it for someone else, for good and because of you. Because you taught us how to weep. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Peter's going to come right now. We're going to pause for a moment and listen. I wonder how God might be speaking to you today. Justine and Cam have invited you to come alongside. But we've also heard about how you can come alongside another in one particular way so that people might feel their burdened, lightened because you've offered your hands and carried them for a moment. So as you hear this music, I wonder how you might allow God to speak to you. Jesus said these words. We'll just go back one. Thanks, Nick. That's it. He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think what he was trying to say is that sometimes when we actually come alongside other people and offer our support, it's hard to feel sometimes their hardship because we've been bruised ourselves. And bruised hands often lead to calluses. So we can't feel people's pain or heartache because we've hardened ourselves. I wonder in this space now there might be a healing moment where you would dare to open up yourself to a God who speaks. That you might say, Jesus, would you carry my burden because I am tired of carrying it myself? And then in that moment there might be some healing as your spirit ministers to your life softens the calluses reorients your thinking so that you know you are not journeying